today at the house of Mario, I discuss why I love my time I've spent with Bayonetta Origins. My most anticipated game, Atelier Riser 3, is out. And an interview with the game's director has sparked backlash from creepy fans. And the answer to last week's mystery jukebox was Waluigi Stadium for Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. If you love Nintendo, video games, and the culture that surrounds them, you've found your home. Come on in. Hey everybody and welcome to the House of Mario, the South Australian Nintendo podcast that is backed by a 120 power star rating. I'm your host Drew Agnew and the doors to episode 247 are open. I hope you're going well. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever and whenever you are listening to the show. Hope you're really enjoying yourself. I don't know. Maybe you're doing some exercise or maybe you're playing some video games. That would be great. I hope you're playing something fun. That's for sure. And I don't know if you've got me playing over some story moments in the game. That's a bit psychotic. I don't know what that's about. You've got to concentrate on the story when it comes to your games. But maybe you're just playing some Mario Kart or Smash Brothers. That's fine. That's what I typically like to um, engage in when I'm listening to a podcast or something. Um, but even even in some other games, I'm just like sort of doing some grinding and a story moment pops up and I pause the podcast and go on that way. But regardless, hope you're going well. Hope your family's safe and everything is uh, going well in your life. This week for me, I've basically started shearing and crutching again. So um, I guess time for putting into the podcast and videos and that will be a little bit less over the next month, purely because I won't have a, a day dedicated to it anymore. But Hopefully I'll still get it out, but um, yeah, I'll be trying to be very transparent as as uh, what I'm able to muster over the next month or so while I'm working. But um, I've already got the day off for the Mario movie on the 5th. Really looking forward to that. It's going to be so much fun. I've got, um, I cannot wait for the Mario movie. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be, I've got, yeah, I've just got such high hopes. Uh, I don't know, I don't know if that's a bad thing, but I've just, um, I'm so confident that it's going to be awesome, but I think it will be. I think it's going to be a great movie. So a couple of weeks away, very much looking forward to it. Before we get into things too deeply, I want to just cover some housekeeping here at the House of Mario. And this is uh, how you can support the show and help make this house a home because this show is very important to me. And I know there's a, you know, a nice group of people out there who enjoy the show as well. So ways you can support the show is very simply go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave a five-star review. Nice and simple, helps other people find the show through your nice words, reviews, and also triggers the algorithm to push us up a little bit. You know, get us off the bottom, off the sea floor. <laughs> Give us some buoyancy. Get us up there. Cross the mighty. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to <laughs> forward there hearing some reviews from you guys. Uh, you can also go to youtube.com slash idruby. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Check out the video podcast over there, the YouTube shorts and um, some other videos I've um, been meaning to get up there. I haven't done just a video that isn't the podcast in a little while, but I definitely want to fix that. I've got some videos that I want to put up regarding some unboxings and some discussions of some games, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, YouTube's very much a learning experience for me. So over 2023, really want to um, you know learn as much as I can and start the YouTube channel up well. But um, at 170 subscribers at the moment, really happy with that. I think that's awesome. Be, um, be cool to help me get to 200. So see how that goes. And you can also support me over at patreon.com slash idruby, where from a dollar, you can get access to our 
podcast I do with my good friend Josh of the other excellent South Australian Nintendo podcast, Nintendvania, where we do a podcast called Heaps Good, where we just discuss whatever comes to our mind. And um, a little bit of insight, um, we're actually discussing a brand new collaboration podcast we're going to be doing um, in the relatively near future. Um, won't talk about it too much here because it's... Um, it's very much still in the planning phases, but on that episode of Heaps Good over at the Patreon, you can actually get a real in-depth sort of look at how we um, are coming up with ideas for that show. And it is a video games podcast, just to put it out there as well. And uh, I just want to give a huge uh, shout out to uh, members of my Patreon that are supporting me at the $3 level or higher. So big thank you to Brendan Myers, Oliver Chaston, Samuel Hay, DJ, Lemonade, and our brand new patron, Prachise Mallet. Thank you so much for joining, my friend. Really do appreciate you uh, joining joining me there. And honestly, there's a name I haven't, I don't recognize from Twitter or Discord or anything like that. So um, awesome that there's people out there who are enjoying the show enough to... Um, decide to support me on Patreon. So very, uh, very happy with that, man. So I hope you enjoy the, the content there and the content here at the House of Mario. Very much appreciated. Let's jump into a Guru Geek Out for this week. I really want to talk about a brand new album that came out from Fallout Boy, dropped today, an album called So Much For Stardust. Um, Fallout Boy is my favorite band of all time. I love them. I've loved them since first year of high school. It's been a long time. My music taste obviously hasn't changed too much. Um, but you know, since high school, the albums, in my personal opinion, were getting better and better and better until I think it was 2018 or 19, they released an album and, um, it, it really dropped the bar. I didn't enjoy it whatsoever, but, um, all their albums up to then I really enjoyed. So this morning, first thing I saw on my phone was a notification that it's finally dropped. I've been anticipating it forever. Finally dropped, listened through it. And none of the songs like grabbed me straight away. Um, there was a song um, at the very, oh, what about a couple of months or a month ago where I absolutely loved it. I'm like, this song is awesome. But none of them sort of grabbed me as much as that song. But certainly I believe a lot of the songs are going to be like stuff I've got to, uh, you know, get used to, learn, and then eventually grow on me a lot more. So um, I'm just stoked that there's a brand new Fallout Boy album because there's been a lot of bands that I've enjoyed throughout high school and they haven't had albums for three, four years. Um, another one of my favorite bands is I See Stars. And uh, whenever I talk about music or um, anything like it with friends or family or whatever, no one's he- heard of I See Stars. I'd love to know if any of you guys are I See Stars fans, but it's like electronic, emo, heavy, screamo music. It's uh, I don't know how to describe it. Post- Post-emo, I don't know exactly how to describe it. Definitely, <laughs> you can definitely see why I got into it during high school. But it stuck with me, man. And like the lead singer and everything just sounds so good. And they were meant to have an album drop last year and they just they just went silent. They ghosted everyone. And I don't know what exactly has happened. But hopefully we see, see it from them too. So um, pretty stoked about what's going on music-wise as far as my taste goes. So really excited about that. So... Fallout Boy, if any of you guys are fans of Fallout Boy or you want to check them out, go and check them out. Let me know what you think of the new album. I'm, I'm keen to hear what um, everyone's thinking because, yeah, I've got to listen to it a little bit more. I'm recording this just like how many hours after I've gone up? Like four hours. I haven't really had that much time. I listened through the album. I'm like, okay, cool, cool, cool. But I was also um, getting my son ready, ready for childcare and stuff like that. So I wasn't like 100% focusing on it. But cool stuff, man. It's a good day. 
It's a big game that I've really been looking forward to that's came out today as well, as well as um, Resident Evil 4 Remake as well, which um, I'm not picking up today, but it is pre-ordered. I will go and pick it up tomorrow from EB Games. Oh man, it's a good day today. Really is a good day today. Uh, my wife and I, Chantel, we're going um, to celebrate our we- uh, second wed- wedding anniversary tomorrow as well. I've been really looking forward to uh, you know this weekend for a long time. I really have. So exciting stuff, man. Exciting stuff. All right. Let's jump into um, my week of gaming this week. And the first game I want to talk about is Bayonetta Origins, Cereza and the Lost Demon. This game was provided to me from Nintendo Australia. So thank you very much um, to the team at Nintendo Australia for supporting me and the House Mario and the content that we create here. Um, but jumping into this, this was um, a game that I wasn't necessarily like, super anticipating, but when the game got announced at the Game Awards, it certainly caught my eye just with the visual presentation, how Bayonetta was completely changing how that game was interpreted. You know, just, you know, Bayonetta is very hyper-sexualized, action-packed. It's like an awesome, awesome game. One of, you know, Platinum Games' premier action games. So seeing them take like a real different approach where you are controlling Bayonetta as Cereza, you know, when she's a child trying to become a witch... And during the game, she um, has um, a little a little doll, Shesha, little cat doll. And throughout the events of the game, you you summon a demon. The demon takes takes a form in this plush of this cat, and um, gets named Shesha. And you're trying to go throughout the woods as you're trying to get out the woods because it's a very dangerous place. You got warned that you're not meant to go in here, and. Just uh, how many hours I've put into the game? Maybe four or five hours. I'm on chapter five. There's 13 chapters within the game, so I'm not halfway yet. But um, immediately I was just really struck by this game. The game looks stunning on Switch. And some areas, depending on the lighting, really did take me away. I wouldn't even thought that I was playing on a Switch. It looked um, looked fantastic on my OLED TV. Um, but the whole gameplay pre- premise is you control Cereza with the left stick, Shesha with the right stick, and um, use the triggers and the bumpers to do attacks and um, just interact with the world. You don't do too much with the face buttons apart from swapping abilities with Shesha, which you unlock throughout the game. Um, there's different abilities like being able to interact with plants. Then I've just got the second ability where you're able to smash rocks and that helps you interact with the world a lot more. And even with them, they're sort of like Metroidvania style where you can go back to previous areas in the woods or the overworld where you couldn't progress before because you didn't have those abilities. So that's an interesting sort of take on it too. But what I really enjoy most about this game is just how it's presented because I think you can look at this game and you can sort of think to yourself that this is very much like an indie game made by Platinum and published by Nintendo and it's $80. And the $80 price tag might be a problem for some. And honestly, for me, it's I probably might have skipped this game for a little bit purely because $80 and it's in between like, you know, my most anticipated game is Atelier Riser 3. It came out the week afterwards. So I'm like, all right, I don't really have enough time for this necessarily. Um, I can wait. I can save some money. But luckily, I, like I said, I was provided the code from Nintendo. So I was able to jump into the game and I was pleasantly surprised just with how much it took me and um, I guess the demo could have helped with that as well. There is a demo that carries on your progress, which is just awesome. I love when demos do that. Just don't play them too early before you pick up the game. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll forget what happened. So you jump back into the game and you'll be like, all right, I've got to replay it anyway just to get the tutorials back in order. But the presentation is just top notch. Like it feels like 
this type of game with the maximum amount of polish, shine, and mechanical depth that you would expect from a full-price game. So while the price isn't necessarily wrong necessarily, I feel like a $50 Australian price tag would have been just perfect. Anybody would have just like, yeah, no, I'll buy that. That'll look cool. I feel like that would have been a lot better entry point. But um, if you're looking for something to play and this game looks appealing to you, I think $80 is a good sort of price tag for it. Checking on how long to beat takes about 14 hours. So it's a relatively long game, not too long, not too short. Um, so I'm looking forward to um, getting to the end and seeing what's going on. But it, um, it feels great to play as you're sort of exploring the areas. There's lots of hidden secrets as you're going along that you're able to use your abilities, um, stuff hidden in bushes, whether it's, um, you know, just parts to do some crafting with. Only very light crafting. It's not too much. You go to your cauldron, you put, um, it automatically puts all the ingredients you need for potions or buffs or um, just stuff to use in combat. Um, apart from healing myself, I haven't really mucked around too much with it. Um, haven't felt the need. Um, haven't really been stuck combat-wise just yet. Um, but it's just really fun to explore and check out all the little nooks and crannies, see what um, hidden secrets there are. Because um, there's plenty of little puzzles to do along the way. You can skip them. It won't matter too much. But if you want to get the items, which are similar to um, heart containers in Legend of Zelda, where you find five pieces, you put it together, you get an extra segment of health. Um, and stuff like that, and ingredients to use for crafting in the cauldron, and battle items and stuff like that. It just feels great to explore, and that's my favorite aspect of the game so far, is being able to utilize all them. And then when you when you run into combat, a lot of the time you get forced into its own little combat area, and you get different enemies come at you, and you've got different ways of taking these down. And in the early game, it's very much just uh, using Shesha. He's the only one that can attack. And, and uh, Shereza plays the supporting character where as Shereza, you can hold them in place with your magic and with the right stick, you're controlling Shesha and you're using the um, ZR button to do the attacks. And you can do different sort of combos. You've got a skill tree that allows you to unlock um, things as you go along, which I really enjoy. And I like how skill trees... Like, it's a very um, simple skill tree. It's only got, like, a few options, not too many. Um, but you can unlock different abilities and stuff. Like, there's a finisher where Shesha just, what throws them in the air and crunches on them to finish them off, which is really useful. You can unlock a dodge roll for both Shesha and Shereza. Uh, Get a little bit, a little bit mud, uh, muddled when I'm saying Shereza and Shesha. Um, but, uh, it, it feels great so far and I'm looking forward to unlocking more abilities on the skill tree because I'm seeing some abilities where I'm like, Oh, that looks really good. I really want that for combat. Not because it would be useful necessarily, but it just adds a little bit more flavor and variety to the game. And, um, you're, you're able to unlock these abilities on the skill tree by collecting currency. You've got two different currencies for Shereza and Shesha, um, which works out well. And there's also items as, as well that, um, for the more, um, I guess, grandiose or special abilities, you're able to put them towards it as well. Like there's a there's a special fruit that Shesha needs to unlock some of the bigger um, abilities in the skill tree and same with Shereza as well, which you find throughout Hidden Secrets and Exploration in the Overworld, which really encourages you to set out and see if you can find some of them. Um, but... As far as that goes, that's uh, my first few hours with Shereza and the Lost Demon. I was really hoping to finish it this week, but starting work, I had a few nights where 
um, I couldn't put in the game time, unfortunately, because uh, typically for me, my gaming is between eight o'clock and 12 o'clock at night. You know, Lucas goes to bed, turn on the TV, put my headphones on, seek, just sink into the game world, really enjoy myself. But um, had a real bad night with Lucas. He's uh, teething quite bad. He woke up God knows how many times. And the next couple of days has just been early, early nights for Drew Boy. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, not finished with it yet. I'll be tackling it over the next week or weeks after. Who knows? Who knows? But um, like I've said in previous episodes, I really want to be better at at, uh, actually finishing games. So I've been pretty good at it so far, but we'll see how that goes. But really enjoying my time with Cereza and the Lost Demon. Fantastic game, man. Really great. I I 100% recommend it. I think it's a lot of fun. If it's a little bit too much for you, price-wise... I think a sale, we get it for 50 bucks or 60 bucks. It is Nintendo published game. So will that happen? God knows. Don't rely on it anytime soon. But um, definitely a big recommendation, um, especially if you're a fan of uh, Bayonetta and you just want the lore. Lore-wise, it's probably worth it as well. The story is great. And it's told in a real storybook um, style where there's a narrator and they've got a lot of personality as they're interpreting um, the demon because he doesn't actually talk. But, you know... That's what the narrator's doing. It's a great game, man. It's really fun. So um, probably thinking about what's came out, it's probably the Nintendo published game that's come out this year that's captured me the most, honestly. Out of, uh, you know, Fire Emblem, Kirby, and now Series of Lost Demon, I would probably put that first out of them. You know, Kirby's Kirby. Kirby's awesome. Real polished, beautiful-looking, plenty of abilities, plenty of secrets, plenty of micro games, high scores, challenges. Awesome Kirby game. And I'm, um, I'm just chipping away at that. I don't need to binge that game, but I'm chipping away at it every now and again when I pick up my Switch. And um, Fire Emblem, which I've just fallen off. But like I said, I'm pretty determined to um, not fall off another Fire Emblem game. I've fallen off like every single Fire Emblem game apart from um, Warriors last year. So let's not make that happen again. Please, 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 Drew. Don't do it again. Don't. You, you can't do your previous mistakes. But yeah, Banana Origins, awesome stuff. And uh, let's move on to the 11th game that I've beaten this year. I'm keeping track of all the games that I've beaten. And I'm really happy that I was able to do this in time. This was something I set out at the start of the year when we knew Atelier Riser 3 was coming out on the 24th of March, which is today at the time of recording this. Um, so the 11th game I've beaten is Atelier Riser 2 Secret Legends and The Secret Fairy. And... This game was awesome. I loved it so much. It's a JRPG from developer Gust, published by Koei Tecmo. And it's just a really great sequel to a game that I absolutely loved uh, playing at the start of the year. And I'm so happy that, uh, like I said, I was able to beat it in time. And it's it's a huge recommendation on Nintendo Switch, PS4, PC, um, I personally played on PlayStation 5. But the game is a, it's a JRPG where crafting is one of the most important elements of progression in the game. You do level up with your usual JRPG affair, but alchemy and crafting is a huge importance in the game where um, all of your armor, your weapons, your items, battle items, healing items, everything is crafted and um, made by you by items that you gather in the open world and you bring them back and you craft and 
a lot of the times if you get stuck, it's because you need to find better crafting materials and craft better items. And I was originally draw, draw, <laughs> drawn, uh, <laughs> I was originally drew to this series because of like, this is just a completely different take on a JRPG. And typically you have crafting in, in a lot of games, especially today, since it's become a lot more mainstream, even in Animal Crossing, for example, where you've got your crafting. But this um, this game, this series, the Atelier series, it's always just, it's just so in depth to the point where some mechanics, I'm like, it's, it goes over my head. Like there's so much as it, in, it introduces you throughout the game as it's telling you different mechanics, different methods. Like you can you can have like the same suit of armor, but you through using different items, you can have different traits, different abilities, different stats. Um, it's just crazy how you can min-max every single aspect of every item, everything in the game. It's crazy. And typically I'm not that kind of player. Um, I played through the game just using what's good enough and, you know, making sure I don't get trounced by bosses. But I can imagine if you're someone who's like, you know, I know like a lot of Destiny players, for example, they grind for hours and hours and hours to get the best sort of loadout um, and a lot of other games as well, whether it's MMOs or whatever. Um, I could see someone like that really enjoying this game through the crafting system. And it's nice as well because when you're crafting, you're just sort of, you know, putting the items into place on this sort of grid. It's like a, imagine like a skill tree grid where you start off with the first couple of items and you can place the different items depending on what traits you want in different directions or you can even unlock different recipes for better weapons or better items through other recipes. So there's a lot to the actual crafting itself. But i got to say what drew me to the series is the characters, the art, the music, um, all of that that you expect from a Japanese role-playing game. And um, the story for me in Atelier Riser 1 really captured me because it's a coming-of-age story where Riser and his, her friends uh, in this small village, Riza is a, a from a farming family and she doesn't really care about farming. She wants to go on adventures. She wants to become an alchemist. She wants, um, she's got a longing for something different. And I, I fell in love with that story, especially how it concluded just in a real nice heartwarming way, because I was like, Oh my God, I can, I can relate to this. I can relate to this, um, anime girl in this in this made up island um in this video game because you know in in some ways i feel the same whereas you know i'm born in i'm born into the farm but it's not like it's not my love it's not my passion and there's even a character in this second game where she felt the same and she sort of saw what riza was doing and felt envious of her going on adventures and i was sort of lot i sort of left at the end of the first game feeling the same way I'm like, it really impacted me in a way that might not impact others because, you know, of their position um, in life or how they were raised or whatever. But it's something that I really resonated with. Um, so going to the second game, I was really keen to see how these characters have grown throughout the years. There's a three-year gap between Atelier Riser 1 and 2. Um, and Riser goes to the capital city to meet up with her friends who moved there for their own reasons. There's a character called Tao who wants who, who goes to the capital city to study. There's um, a character called Boss who wants to um, train and a bit be better so he can take over the family business back on the island. And there's a bunch of different characters as well that you meet along the way that have really great character growth and all of that. And that is personally what I love most about these Atelier games, how 
all the characters have so much personality and a lot of the story isn't that there's some big bad guy that you need to take over. In fact, that's the most boring aspect of the games. Um, the final boss is very much just cool. It's a, it's a, it's a cool looking designed thing and I'll beat it and I'll beat the game and the credits roll. But the whole game is based around like just the slice of life, the moments in between all the madness, what the characters are thinking and all of that. And I really, um, yeah, all the characters are just really, really great. I really enjoyed them. And, um, even like the mundane things where it might be a fetch quest where somebody needs a particular item and you need to go and synthesize it. And, while that's not super interesting on paper, you might not have the right ingredients to synthesize this item. So you go and make it, you bring it back, and then it progresses the story more. And these are just side quests. This isn't This isn't necessarily even the main game. And it's just, um, that is what I personally really find charming about the games is uh, just all the character interactions. So if you want to jump into Atelier Riser 1, 2, or 3, I believe you can do it any order. Um, but the only thing is you'll be missing out on the context between the growth of the characters, whether together or separately. Um, there'll be a lot missing there. But as far as like lore and like, all right, you know, what what happens, it's um, a simple probably paragraph to catch up on what happened. You know, they went here, they beat this. Then the second game, they went here, this happened, they beat this. You know, there's not too much as like the overarching story. But as far as like all the little character interactions, that is what will be missed if you jump straight to the third game or the second game. Um, but it's not too big a deal because I know the whole idea of playing through two games before getting to the new game that you want to play, that um, that probably means you just won't play it at all because that's too big a commitment. Um, but it is a commitment that I wanted to make because I really, really liked the look of these games and just how it sort of plays with it all mechanically and... Um, when I was watching anime in high school, a lot of the animes that I really liked were slice of life animes, um, like K-On, for example. I don't know if any of you guys remember that movie. A bunch of um, high school girls getting together, making a, a club in school, in, being in a band. It's just slice of life, playing cool music. It was it was really good fun. So I think these games might scratch the itch as far as that goes. Um, but of course, with you know the characters, the story, all of that, I think it's the the active battle system that makes the game a lot of fun as well. Where it isn't active like Final Fantasy VII Remake where you're running around and you're holding in the trigger, you're choosing your attack and it's like a hack and slash sort of combat. It is turn-based, but it is active. So you've got your turn order and it will come up, but you can do certain button prompts that will elevate your turn so you can go a little bit quicker. And... You're basically building up your AP bar. So that's your action points. And your action points allow you to pull off um, big, I guess, special attacks. Um, but when you use your special attacks, points also go into your, I guess, your, I forgot what the, the term was, but um, your battle level, we'll just call it um, here. And your battle level goes from one to five. And along the way, um, as your level goes up during battle, you're able to accumulate more AP points. So being able to um, get your characters to use more attacks more frequently. And also you can do just more standard attacks in a row and pull off bigger combos as your level goes up. It's a really addictive and fun sort of um, combat system. There's a lot more to it as far as, you know, getting other points, getting using your core crystals where you can use your battle items 
as many times as you want, but you've got to build up points to use them as well. And um, it's just a really interesting battle system that I really enjoy that, um, you know, it's something to concentrate on as far as the timing goes, but also think about what's coming ahead, what items you're going to use, what, um, like what things you'll synthesize and what will work well, what um, you've got a, a bunch of characters you can choose um, that you can swap in and out. You've got like a, a fourth slot where you can move, move one of your party members in and out and you can continue the combo streak as it goes on. It was um, a really great battle system that I think has grown a lot since the first game. The first game, you basically had to um, use your bank of AP points and then use them to go up a level. But in the second game, you're very much just using those AP points and when you use your skills, it builds up your level. So you're kind of getting rid of the middleman there. Um, I don't know if anything... I said makes any sense to a lot of you guys out there that have not or will not play these games, um, but it's something that I certainly really enjoyed, and um, it's just uh, a really, really great game. So I'm really happy that I was able to finish it, and the third game came out today, and I'm absolutely stoked to play it. I've got it preloaded on PlayStation 5, and let's go through some of the reviews here on Metacritic as far as what the reception is for Atelier Riser 3, Alchemist of the End, and The Secret Key certainly my most anticipated game apart from the legend of zelda tears of the kingdom um so as far as reviews i want to pull from it's got 82 on metacritic great score pretty much in line with what the other two games in the trilogy received as well so a great score really happy with that i'm glad that it came out well in an outlet that i've been following uh quite closely actually because of their coverage of the atelier games um these games are quite niche so Places like IGN, Games, GameSpot, um, you know, places like that, uh, you know, not not covering this niche JRPG. But uh, Noisy Pixel says in their summary for their review, Atelier Riser 3, Alchemist of the End, and The Secret Key is the best entry in the series, hands down. Every system has uh, been enhanced and perfected with the additional key feature melded expertly into its core narrative. Sometimes the world could feel a lot bigger than it is, causing some pacing issues within the story. And there are a few characters who could have received more, more of the spotlight. But I can't stress enough how memorable this experience is. It's sad to say goodbye. Gust did right by Riser with uh, this finale. And we'll go down towards the lower end of the scale with Push Square. And their summary for their review says, Atelier Riser 3, Alchemist of the end and the secret key is the biggest atelier game to date. Uh, Riser and her friends are just as charming as ever. And this is a fantastic way to end the trilogy. The vibrant open world areas are a joy to explore and the slick combat and engaging alchemy system will keep you entertained throughout. I don't know if I said what score they gave it, but they gave it a 70 um, as it's been aggregated by Metacritic. So, Really, really, uh, you know, excited. I'm, I'm glad that I haven't been excited for this game for ages and then it just like, oh, it's awful. <laughs> That'd be really disappointing uh, because the game did receive a month delay from the 24th last month to the end of this month, which was great for me. I was able to finish the second game. Thank God. <laughs> that would have been a, a big crunch for Drew, but uh, he got them in. And uh, just uh, really, really happy with the series and I cannot wait to jump into it later today and um, see what it's all about. So I'll be talking about the third game next week and um, eventually when I finish it. The game's about 30 hours according to the developers and I believe them because the last couple of games took me 30 hours to beat as well. 
Um, but also if you want to stick around all the side quests, just really concentrate on your alchemy, getting your items as good as you want them to be, you can spend a lot more time in them. There's some reviews I was checking out for the first and second game. Some people put 50 hours into it and some people will suck around for like the whole time, put 100 hours into it. Um, and personally, I would like more time. I'm going to go back to the second game and maybe get the Platinum Trophy, hopefully. But we'll see. We'll see. There's always new games coming out. It's going to be hard to go back um, to do that. Um, so, yeah, awesome stuff. And I just want to say as well, there's been an Atelier Riser anime series that's been announced. And this uh, this makes me smile so much because this game would make an awesome anime. You're like... The game looks like an anime. <laughs> it's just a really stunning game uh, with great characters in that. So, of course, it would be a great anime. I just want to quote as far as um, as a, to describe the anime. So, quote, the main character is Riza, an ordinary girl. Tired of the boring village life, she escapes the village to gather uh, with her good friends in a secret location to talk of their dreams and plan th- uh, thrilling adventures. One day, the determined Riser and company decide to head to the forbidden island across the shore as their first exploration trip. Together uh, with the alchemist and other friends they meet there, they have a summer adventure that they will never forget. So I cannot wait for the anime. I'm going to be checking it out wherever I can watch it. I don't know. Crunchyroll, hopefully, somewhere. I don't know. Wherever it is, they'll get my subscription. Can they check it out? Okay, so now I want to bring up some some weird aspect that I came across. So Nintendo Life, they had an interview with the series director. Um, I'm going to try and pronounce this right. I I read it multiple times before starting the podcast. Now I've forgotten since I've now that I've actually started. Um, Hosoi-san. Um, I don't know if I got that right. I'm so sorry, sir, if I pronounced your name wrong. Hosoi-san. Um had an interview with Nintendo Life and Nintendo Life asked them this question and we'll discuss the reaction to the answer. So having reviewed, this is what the interviewer asks, having reviewed all the Switch entries in the series over the past few years, we've noticed a shift from what you might call more fan servicey style towards RPGs that feel they are trying to appeal to a much wider audience. Has it been a conscious decision to reflect the style of the franchise in this way. And Hisui-san says, Yes, it is. We want as many players as possible to pick up and play our games. For this reason, we are constantly listening to the opinions of various players and looking for and coming up with the content they uh, that they will enjoy again. We would be happy if many people thought of uh, think of Gust Gus games when they think of JRPGs. And I came across this uh, quote from Go Nintendo. They published um, the article, just taking the snippet out of um, Nintendo Life's interview. Read through the interview, really great. If you want to hear more about the development of Teleriser 3, go and check that out on um, Nintendo Life. But Go Nintendo just took this out and, you know, highlighted the the fan service aspect of the game. Basically, people were, I guess, Go Nintendo's article took it that they were reducing the amount of fan service in future Atelier games. And 
for, for, for those that don't know, the Atelier series is very much based on, you know, all the protagonists apart from one is, you know, they're pretty female characters, you know, your standard sort of pretty anime girls for the most part that you might see, I don't know, <laughs> in just uh, yeah your typical video games. And for me, I, I, I got to admit, I, I, you know, I quite enjoy pretty female characters in video games. I'm not going to lie about that. I, I like, there's an aspect of the Atelier series that I already like the pretty aesthetic of, you know, the characters in Atelier. But as far as fan service goes, I, I got to say, I don't feel like it's not very strong in the Atelier series. Um, there's, it's, it's kind of a meme at this point, but as far as Telia Riser go, everyone's pointing at her thighs, which grosses me out a little bit. Because, <laughs> like, yes, she's got short shorts on, but she's not. I wouldn't say her design is inherently over-sexualized, um, apart from the short shorts and having, you know, having thighs, which I, I find it weird. Even reviews, like, it's, like, reviews on YouTube, it's titled, like, Thigh Review or something like that. So, okay, it's little bit much like you know we, we get it like you know we, you've got a, a pretty bubbly protagonist who's wearing short shorts and you know is visually pleasing to the eye but when you when you overdo it a little bit and i feel like in atelier riser 2 there as far as it goes as there's, there's characters and side characters that have big boobs which is just like for me that's i'm like who, who enjoys this let's just like just Mass, just massive breasts where it's at the point when you're just thinking to yourself, that is just way overdone, but that's just me. I'm sure there's lots of people out there who enjoy it. And there is a section, there are sections when you've got to, you know, crawl to hidden areas where you can find different gathering items or maybe, you know, just secrets and stuff, which is, which is fun as far as you're exploring these areas. But um, basically you get on your knees and you start crawling and the camera just like goes to an angle, like really highlighting Riza's ass. And it feels weird. I'm sitting on the couch next to my wife. I'm like, I, honey, I swear I'm not playing this just to Google at, not Google, goggle at this woman's ass. Like I, I swear, I swear I'm not doing it. But I've put out what I, I feel about the fan service. I feel like the fan service in the Atelier series is very light there's a couple of characters that are overdone um, as far as designs of their assets go. But as far as the design of Riser herself, there's nothing too egregious going on. You know, she's just wearing short shorts and she's showing off her thighs. Like that's pretty tame, especially if we're going off the standard of Japanese games where all the characters are just, yeah, crazily underdressed, especially the female characters, which is something I want to see sort of, uh, I want the Japanese game industry to sort of, you know, think about it a little bit more, make it a little bit more appropriate. And if you do want to do designs like that, there are thirsty men out there. That's fair enough. But make sure we make it age appropriate as well. Make make these characters adults. That's a separate conversation um, to talk about. But the reaction to the the games, um, the games developer just saying like, um, just talking about fan service. There was. I don't know. It's sort of weird, weirdly worded. Like, are they going to lean more into fan service or are they going to be removing fan service from the series? I'm not too sure. It's kind of weirdly worded how, like, the reviewed 
all the past games, we notice a shift from what you might call more fan servicey games. Like, is there a shift towards it or away from it? Because, like, Tell Your Eyes are three. It's rated PG here in Australia. Like, I could I could play this with my son and just you know personal guidance, just sit here and it's like, yes, that is a woman with um short shorts, son. Like, there's not too much to um, be censored or remove your kids away from. But the sole reason why I bring this up is. The comments on Twitter under this Go Nintendo post where we're funny, they entertained me, but extremely sad, and it just shows you what the depth of just basement dwelling losers <laughs> there are in the video game community. It's disgusting and how women are treated, fictional women are treated, and it really highlights potentially, um, I can't talk from my own experience, but potentially what real women are treated like. Um, you know, you hear stories about, you know, them being treated awfully. And um, in my circles, I, I hope to God that they're treated with respect. But just what people were saying about this series, about Riser, about just, you know, about the lack of fan service in the games was um, just disgusting. So I've highlighted some comments that I found on Twitter and we'll go through them and we'll discuss them as we go. But the first one's very simple. It was just, we will not be playing. So, okay, so less fan service in the Atelier series or in Rise of 3 or whatever they meant in the article. It doesn't quite matter at this point. We are just discussing of discussing what people are saying about <laughs> fan service in video games and um, just the need of female characters to be gawked at by, by men. Um, and like I said, there's nothing wrong with that, but the idea of them bringing that back and the backlash that is, has happened from this is just creepy and gives me big ick vibes, big ick vibes. Second comment is literally only thing anyone knows about the series is the fan service. Like, it's not an acclaimed darling. It's one of a million weeb games designed to get money from horny dudes, nothing else to it. And this this one was a real head-scratcher to me. Like, yes, a pretty female protagonist might get you in the door, but to say there's nothing else to it is just, like, have you... You care enough to comment here and talk about about this aspect of the game, but there's nothing else to it. So you're like, you don't care about sort of the JRPG aspects, the leveling up, the character interactions, the story, the art style, the the really unique crafting systems, the in-depth um, mechanics of, uh, you know, just choosing traits and all this for your gear and weapons and that. So like, there's nothing else to it. Not one other thing to it. So like, do you play video games? Do you like video games? There's plenty of anime where you can just go and see women running around being clumsy, the boobs bumping up and down, all of that. There's plenty of ways to see that. You can Google, you can find God knows what online. But as far as a JRPG goes, where it's about forming a party and going on a story and an adventure, I'd say there's a lot more to it than just the fan service. In fact, the fan service is so surface level, that is the least important part of the whole series. It really is. You can, um, the next game could be a man in track pants <laughs> and a t-shirt. It's like, well, there's still plenty more to it. Um, will it be as fun to play as? I don't know. Maybe he's a really boring dude or maybe he's, um, he goes on a great 
character development over the over the game and he takes off his track pants and he puts on some shorts and he goes for a run and becomes a big runner and uh that is how usain bolt um that's the origin story of usain bolt there you go crazy story all right next one is and this is um a, this is him doing a quote so a quote from the article itself so quote it can also make a sizable chunk of an audience somewhat uncomfortable, uncomf- end quote. And this is a quote from the Go Nintendo interpretation of the quote from Nintendo Life. And I guess the article from Go Nintendo, the writer was basically saying that, you know, it is cringy. It makes people uncomfortable and more people might come in if it wasn't so like, oh my God, it's just, it's weeb energy because weeb energy pushes a lot of people away because it's, you know, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a certain taste, that's for sure, um, which I'm, I'm, not, I'm not above uh, having weeb tastes, uh, that's, that's for sure, definitely. I'm playing Atelier. It's definitely a weeb taste game. Um, but they go on to say, this is false. Twitter is not a sizable chunk of any audience. Go Nintendo, more like go fuck yourself. And that fucking made me laugh so much. <laughs> <laughs> go Nintendo more like go fuck yourself and why did go Nintendo get told to go and fuck themselves because I don't know it, it they, they their opinion was it makes a sizable chunk of the audience audience somewhat uncomfortable um yeah seeing seeing I don't know fan like extreme fan service where women are just paraded around as this sexual object is a little it is strange it is really strange like go outside and Touch some grass. It is, it's strange. Um, and there's a place for it, but if, if a developer wants to utilize the success of Atelier Riser and Atelier Riser 2, you know, combined selling 1.6 million copies, this is a lot for Gust and Koei Tecmo. Um, they want to keep the ball rolling. And if they've got to make some changes, I guess um, that's what it's got to be. But I understand as well if you've been a fan since, you know, the PlayStation 1 days... I guess maybe fair enough, but even back then, that it, it was not a fan servicey game. The most fan servicey the game's got is a, is Riser in the thighs. Like honestly, another simple one is thanks for saving me sixty dollars. So there you go. And that's just that's thanking go Nintendo in some ways. A bit passive aggressive the way I interpreted it, but maybe maybe it's just oh thanks for saving me sixty bucks. I really just needed a just a thirst trap, but I guess you're not getting that. And this one is one that makes sense. The last comment that I'm going to highlight. Um, how's the saying go again? Starts with G. Four words. Oh, right. Get woke, go broke. And th- th- this is something a lot of uh, people bring up every now and again. Like every every single thing <laughs> can be interpreted as like, oh, you're just going woke. It's like, what's, what's going woke here? Like they're not going to be like hypersexualizing their characters. And I would even argue that the the characters haven't been hypersexualized anyway. Obviously there was some like I said in Riser 2 where the camera angle just like swoops to her butt. It's like, oh Jesus Christ. <laughs> but apart from that, there there wasn't anything um too shocking. But going woke, they're not going woke. And I hope they don't go broke. I want more games. And it's sad because this this is a game series that I really want to highlight here in the content that I make. It's something that I really have enjoyed over the past couple of months. And I feel like it's a series that I've really gotten into, really enjoying. Um, and I want to highlight it, play more of the games. 
and um, talk about it here on the podcast. But there is obviously a portion of the audience that plays these games that are just psychopaths, just are weird. <laughs> and there's no lack of these people online. There's plenty of um, people <laughs> just in gaming in general. And there was a big hubbubaloo when Horizon Forbidden West was coming out on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 where Aloy, the protagonist of those games, um, screenshots come out and people were like hyper-analyzing her face saying like she's she's gotten fat or she's got facial hair, doesn't look feminine enough. It's like, what are you guys talking about? Like there was, there was someone on Twitter who like zoomed in and saw like a bit of fuzz like, you know, on her chin or a moustache or whatever. But it's like, so you do realize women have like, hair on their body don't you they're not barbie dolls they're not made of plastic they've got hair they've got hair in places like it's um it's like have you never been in front of a woman and this is this is talking about probably men who just got no idea and just need to go and touch grass and get some social insight and um it's scary man it really is scary and there's lots of um there's aspects about I guess, uh, you know, social politics and stuff going online, which I like to keep away from, especially discussing on content online. But I can talk from a man's perspective and I've got to say, men, if you're in this position, you've got to do better, man. You've got to do better. You can't make um, our community of gamers, men, whatever, look like this. We can't be downgrading women talking about them like this, whether it's an anime character in Atelier, whether it's a more realistic character um, like Lara Croft or Aloy or any of these other female characters in games. It's embarrassing. It's disgusting. It's freaking weird. So you got to stop doing it. It's, um, it's, it's crazy. And I want to be a part of the Atelier community and I don't want any of this weird bullshit going on. And, and that's not to say that we can't be like, oh, that's a pretty character. These are pretty characters. That's cool-looking art design, character design. There's a lot to it. I think Riser and a lot of the other protagonists in Atelier are cute, pretty, and I like you know playing as them in-game. And even to the point in, say, Pokemon games, I usually pick the fe- the female character um, you know, since they've been doing the 3D models because I just, I just like playing as a pretty female character in games. Um, is something different to my everyday life. You know, in real life, I play as a man. <laughs> so I quite like it in um, in video games. And sure, that, that could have been a reason why I was drawn to the series in the first place. But there's a lot more to love rather than just putting fan service into video games where there's a female protagonist. There's a lot more to it. And ultimately, it's the story that the developers want to make. If they want to make a, a story about a pretty tomboy girl who just lusts for adventure with her friends. That's exactly what they do with Atelier Riser. Go and make that game. If you want to play as whatever the character in Starfield is coming from Bethesda later this year, you know, she's not like, oh, look, oh my God, look at her hair and that. she's so pretty. She's just a normal female. Make that story. If you want to make a story about a redhead Aloy um, in Horizon Forbidden West, make that story. It's up to the developers and what audience they're targeting. And um, just to have this sort of backlash is um, is weird. So I don't know if I'm a part of this um, the discussion as far as Atelier goes. I want to sort of inject some more of that perspective into the games. You know, someone who's um, someone who has a wife <laughs> and has been in front of a female before, and um, you know respects uh, you know respects women. 
I think I, I think that perspective is important, especially after reading these comments. Jesus Christ. And this wasn't even a fraction of what I was reading. It, it went on forever and ever and ever. And uh, this is actually a tweet that I retweeted. Um, you can check it out on my, on my Twitter. But um, someone said, literally the whole appeal, damn, re- relating to the fan service in um, Italia. And they did a picture where it's like, it's summing up Rise's thigh size. So in the first game, apparently she had 60% thigh, 80% thigh in the second game. And in the third game, it's up to 90%. I don't know what their measuring Richter scale was or whatever. Um, but the first two, the picture from the first game, she's standing up. The picture in the, the second game, she's standing up. The picture in the third game, she's sitting down. I'm like, I, I just... So I, I, I quoted it saying, bro, she's standing up in the first two images and sitting in the third. That's how legs work. Man, she's sitting down. Of course her legs are going to be wider. You're like when you sit down, your legs sort of, you know, fill out like on the seat, whether you're a man, a woman or a, a grizzly bear. <laughs> like what the hell? And even if their fires have gotten bigger, I don't know. It's just weird, man. Stop it. Stop it. You're creeping me out. Don't like it. So regardless, we'll end the conversation there, but really looking forward to um, Tell Your Eyes 3. And um, it's a little, little bit of fan service, but nothing too much, hopefully. Well, there might be there might be more. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the news. We've got a little bit to talk about this week. Nothing too major, but we've got some Zelda news, some Mario Plus Lush news. And uh, all that type of stuff. So let's jump into it. Is that all? I fight for my friends. My body is still. So the first bit of news is something very exciting that has um has made me happy because I can get a present for my wife. So this is from Vooks.net, and the Super Mario Bros. movie has made a collaboration with Lush Cosmetics. And uh, apparently it's launching tomorrow. So I guess that's uh, today. Cool. So I can go and get some Lush products. And I guess, uh, I don't know if the article will cover it, but um, uh, tomorrow Lush Cosmetics will launch a new collaboration collaboration with the Super Mario Bros. movie with some new products to help keep you fresh. This is just a reskin of their existing products, um, but uh, bespoken items like the question mark block, bath bomb, with a Mario item inside, specific Mario um, Luigi body washes and even peach body spray. Um, but you'll never guess what it smells like. Peach. Um, yeah, I guess it doesn't cover it. But uh, Lush, it's basically like a, a cosmetic. Well, not cosmetic. I'm a man. I find it hard. I've only gone here for a pro- for presents for my wife. When I go to Adelaide, they got a store up there. But they do bath bombs and soaps and fragrances and, you know, scents and stuff for your house, you know, stuff like that. So I usually pick her up a couple of bath bombs. She loves having... Having baths smell nice and bubbles and stuff. Um, you know, it's, it's not my thing, but I know she likes them. So whenever I go to Rundle Mall, I always pick her up some. So I, I said to her, I'm like, oh, look, I'm going to get you a present. I'm going to get you um, a superstar or a question mark block because I can I can feel the, the need to buy some Mario stuff and you can get some bath bombs. So go and check that out if you're in Australia. You've got, um, got a store near you. Uh, but yeah, go and get you some, some Lush stuff. Because, um, yeah, it's, it's always just a, a great present option for me to go and um, pick up some stuff and keep my wife happy. And that's the most important thing to do when you go on a trip. Come back to a happy wife, you're grinning, I tell you that. Because if you don't bring anything, I've either got 
I've I've got to bring back Krispy Kreme donuts or some Lush. So I need some I need some Mario Krispy Kreme as well. Then we got the whole theme set out. Next up is from my Nintendo News. Nintendo was the 12th publisher in a Metacritic's game publisher rankings in 2022. The article reads. Um, each year online review aggregation site Metacritic publishes game publisher rankings and 2022 was no expectation. The rankings were based on each publisher's output in 2022 and interestingly, it was Sony who came out on top with an average score of 85.6. Nintendo didn't fare quite as well as they averaged 78.6 and therefore came out in 12th. Here are the top 15 publisher rankings based on 2022 game releases. So just go for the list here. Number one is Sony. Number two is Paradox Interactive. Number three is Activision Blizzard. Number four is Focus Interactive. Number five is Take-Two Interactive. Number six is Capcom. Number seven is Sega. Number eight is Annapurna Interactive. Number nine is Humble Games. Number 10 is Devolver Digital. Number 11 is Red Ant Art Games. Sorry. Um, number 12 is Nintendo. Number 13 is uh, Axis games number 14 is atari and number 15 is way forward so yeah interesting that they're so far down but i guess really really last year they had some great releases but it was nothing that's going to like tip the scales as far as you know putting up their metacritic or review scores whereas like a bunch of smaller stuff that was fun and also a bunch of um you know stuff like wii sports mario strikers that didn't score so well so that would have dragged them down whereas i feel with sony having like god of war and you know just a massive title that's just automatic just like just get the the average right up there so um pretty cool to see i think this year with um tears of the kingdom will be interesting to see how they fare this year now they've had um a good start of the year kirby fire emblem bayonetta reviewed well around the eights i'd say as far as an average goes um so we'll see how it goes so oh man it's going to be a good year though. It's a good year for Nintendo fans. If um if someone else is like, oh, should I buy a Switch based on the games that come out this year? Maybe not, but I feel like, you know, with Advance Wars and Zelda, Pikmin 4, a lot to look forward to each month. And now I think about it too. Metroid Prime Remastered, that's like the best uh, rated, rated game like this year, which is uh, crazy. <laughs> so that, that'll, that'll be a great bump to their Metacritic as well. Can I look up? It's only got new games here. New games. Can I just do best ranked? I don't know. Can't do it quick enough for the show anyway. Let's move on. So also from my Nintendo news, 32nd Tetris 99 Maximus Cup begins later this week. So the Maximus Cup will be able to get a theme from Fire Emblem Engage, which will be pretty cool. You'll be able to participate in that from the 24th, so the time of recording this, until the 27th of March. So a couple of days over the weekend, go and get your Fire Emblem Awakening um, theme and Tetris. It's been a long time since we've last had a, um, I guess one of these Maximus Cups. So it's good that they're still coming out and hopefully we get one for Kirby and Bayonetta as well. And they keep keep them coming out because it's, um, I guess Tetris, it's Tetris 99. It's been the best sort of way of keeping, keeping their titles I guess relevant for Switch Online, you know, you get it, you get it when you subscribe to the service, and keeping that going with events, very simple themes, and I think it's a good way to do it. So, good that um, that's coming out. Will I get to it? I don't know. I don't think I will. I got um, I got Talia to get into, but we'll see. Uh, Anuma says Zelda Tears of the Kingdom has new gameplay that will bring changes to the game world. 
And this is relayed from my Nintendo news once again. The article reads, the release of Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom is just a couple of months away. There's a lot of excitement for the game, but Nintendo has been strict with what they reveal about it. However, that didn't stop uh, Zelda producer A.G. Anuma from teasing something last week. You see, Anuma was at Famitsu's uh, Den Giki Game Awards a week ago. The game's pre-launch excitement is so great that Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom won an award for the most anticipated. Anuma, in response, delivered a brief speech at the event. Uh, the speech was translated by Twitter user um, Genki um, JPN who was among those in attendance. Although their tweet relaying the news was no longer available to view, they have mentioned that Anuma said that in the sequel, Tears of the Kingdom, furthermore, the player's free imagination will be filled with new gameplay that will bring about changes to the game world. End quote. So this is somewhat interesting. It's not too much, but it just sort of uh, you know opens up your imagination to what potentially we will be doing in this game and putting up information that we've got from previous trailers. Um, I think the most sort of thing that I think about is like the vehicle customization where it looks like you're able to put together vehicles to move, you know, through the sky, through the land and traverse that way. And how that's sort of brought about from, I guess, uh, heavy customization that's been in popular games such as Fortnite and Minecraft and, a lot of people are pointing towards like Banjo-Kazooie nuts and bolts on Xbox 360 developed by Rare. Um, that's that's just what comes to my mind when it comes to like free imagination, how you're like, hey, well, your imagination is, is I guess, your limit for what you can achieve in the game and how you can traverse the world. And I feel like there's going to be a lot more to this game that um, they're ever going to let on before we get the hands on the game. I think um, they saw how powerful... It's just the word of mouth was for Breath of the Wild. People talking about it, people discussing it on social media, what they found, what they can do, what they can do with all the elements and um, all the systems in the game using the lightning, fire, um, just everything that the game allows you to do. And I feel like they're like, all right, well, we'll let the marketing do itself. And that's a great way to do it because there's going to be so many surprises when we pick up this game. It's going to be unreal. People are going to be like, oh my God, talking about it. And it's going to, hopefully create a similar buzz to what Breath of the Wild started when the Switch came out. I don't think it'll be on the same level just because of, you know, the Switch launch plus the launch of a brand new Zelda game, which is completely different. So I think it's going to be on that same level, but it is going to be exciting regardless of uh, what we're going to get from this game. So exciting, man. Keen for it. Cannot wait. May 12th. May 12th. The day is already booked off. It'll be a good day. Next up, this is from Go Nintendo, or um, like the other person said, go, go fuck yourself. <laughs> uh, FIFA, <laughs> FIFA 23 Legacy Edition is North America's next Nintendo Switch Online free trial. And I just thought I'd bring this up because uh, it's kind of cool that um, you know FIFA game you can try it out for free on Nintendo Switch. The Legacy Edition means it hasn't been updated; it's just been updated with roster updates. Nothing mechanically since oh, 2017. It became a lo- Legacy console for ea very quickly um but if if you don't care about sort of mechanical stuff and you just want to play some quick football it's probably not too bad a way to do it so you can pick it up for 50 percent off after the, the deal is up um and you can uh it'll end on the 30th of march so go check that out i quite like fifa i bought it on 
PS5. I haven't even played it yet. <laughs> but it was like 60 bucks. It was cheap. And this is going to be the last FIFA game from EA. It's going to change to EA... What's it called? Um, EA Football Club or something like that because they no longer want to pay for the, um, the FIFA branding, which is fair enough. Um, it costs them a lot of money to get that name. So FIFA's going to go to some other developers, make some... Um, I think they're talking about like the bit... The blockchain stuff like that. They're going to incorporate... Oh my, it sounds like a nightmare... So I think the EA games are going to be the games that stick with. But if you want to try it on Switch, you can. You can try it from the 23rd to the 29th of March. So go and check it out. I think it's the same in Australia too, but yeah. Uh, next up, I just want to talk about the the video from um, Jared the Completionist. Or Gerard, sorry. <laughs> Jared. <laughs> Gerard the Completionist. And he put out a video where he spent... Um, just 23 grand on buying every single 3DS and Wii U game from the Nintendo eShop. And it's a really great video. Go and check it out if you haven't seen it already. But they talk about a lot of the hurdles and hoops he had to jump through to buy every single game on the Nintendo Wii U and 3DS. And what a nightmare it was. You could only load $250 onto your online wallet at a time. It only... Both systems only allow you to have 300 icons on the home screen at once. So he had to put them over multiple hard drives, multiple SD cards. And he also wanted to buy all the DLC for all the games. And the DLC on 3DS, I didn't know this. Um, I didn't really think about it that much because I'm not buying multiple games in the sort of the order that he is. <laughs> but uh, for the games, you have to go into the actual game itself and buy it from the in-game menu. And some games you had to play for an hour to buy the DLC. And some games actually involved you to beat the game before buying the DLC, like the um, Ace Attorney series. Apparently you had to beat the game before buying DLC, which makes no sense commercially. Like anybody that wants to buy it, they should just like have it there for you, um, let alone just how annoying it is for someone to try and to do this particular challenge. Uh, so it was interesting. It was an interesting video when it was very much summed up by um, Gerard um, talking about lost media and why video game preservation is very important. And I'm going to read out um, a quote from uh, um, a quote of uh, why it's important. So lost media is a very real uh, is very real as far as video game preservation is concerned. Since the industry started, we run a daily risk of losing games forever, and that's why this matters. And that's why we've been doing a long time supporter. Uh, that's why I've been a long time supporter of non-profits like the Video Game History Foundation and their efforts to support the preservation of video games, code, media print, and more. In fact, we started our own charity event, Preserved Play, which is an annual charity event to raise money for them. And that's what's happening this year on April 15th and 16th on my Twitch channel. And we will be donating these consoles and the storage to Video Game History Foundation in every end so that these games can live on. So that's why it's done. Every available game on Nintendo Wii U and 3DS has been saved. It cost far too much time and way too much money, but it was an absolute worth it for the sake of video game preservation, end quote. And that was a, a quote from Gerard. I just couldn't... Qu just by reading this, it didn't um, lead into it that well. But that's uh, what he said at the end of his video. And yeah, video game pres preservation, very important. Something we don't think about um, when it comes to brand new games, buying them as they come out. We want to, you know, save our games from our, um, you know, old Nintendo consoles and our physical media across all platforms. Um, and it's something we don't think about because 
say in 50 years, if a, a publisher just does not want to support their game or doesn't have it available to buy or have it anywhere, um, it's just up to people like this and foundations like this to have it just accessible and the knowledge of it's still out there because um, video games could easily be a medium where we just sort of forget about a lot of games apart from the bangers, the stuff that everyone's talking about, the stuff that makes money that publishers are willing to um, have out there. So it's important. It really is important. But I'm a little bit unsure about buying that many games on 3DS and Wii U, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, there's a lot of sort of hubbubaloo about the eShop shutting down, and rightfully so. There's a bunch of great games you'll no longer be able to play on 3DS and Wii U when you know these stores disappear. A bunch of stuff on 3DS, whether it's the Virtual Console, um, even on the Wii U. Like the Wii U had a Wii Virtual Console, DS, Game Boy Advance, you know, stuff that wasn't found on any other platforms, including Switch. So it's important that um, if you want some of these games, go and get them. I'm going to go and get some DS games because the emulation and how the gamepad works with DS games is perfect. Two screens, can't, really, can't emulate that on PC that easily. Switch won't do it, doesn't have two screens. And um, yeah, so if you want to play those games on your TV, perfect way of doing it. So I'm going to buy a couple of those games there. But what really annoyed me about Wii U and 3DS, especially even back in the day, it was it was scary buying digital games. And this is why I never bought digital full price 3DS games from Nintendo or any other publishers. Only exclusive stuff over there is that it doesn't really have a proper account system. There was no way of tying your purchases to your account. It was locked to the system. And the Wii did this. And in some ways, Arts the Wii, you don't have an account. You know, there was no like Nintendo ID or Nintendo account. You just had a friend code tied to that specific Wii and that was it. So it's all oh, fair enough. You know, it's 2007 when the Wii came out. Was it 2006? Yeah, 2006. So very early days. Xbox was way ahead of its time. So it had, you know, you gamer tag and that over there and all your purchases were tied to your gamer tag if your xbox 360 died which it probably did with red ring of death you could just go and buy another one sign into your xbox live id download your games but we could not do that so leading into a lot more prominent digital future with 3ds and wii u i really hoped that they're going to step up their game with their account system that was something that was at the top of my list um, even above online play and uh, achievements and a bunch of other stuff, it doesn't quite matter. But as far as having your digital purchases really looked after, that was something important on 3DS and Wii U. But it was the same. You had They brought out a brand new system. It's called Nintendo ID. It had a logo on most 3DS boxes. If you look on a 3DS case, you'll see up the top left, um, top left? Might be top right. I don't know. I can't quite remember. But you'll see a little N, a lowercase N, surrounded by a... Um, uh, an orange square. And that was the like your Nintendo ID, your Nintendo account. You made an account and, um, you know, you got newsletters from Nintendo and all of this, but your purchases were tied to the system still. And it was just so backwards. So you could spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on games, DLC. And if you want to move them to a brand new system, like I did, you know, when the 3DS XL comes out, the new 2DS the new 2DS XL, you know, all these systems that came out, you had to migrate, you know, your account over to this other system with like the, the cool little transfer system that had like a, you know, Pikmin sort of moving all the, all the icons from one screen to another. Uh, it was pretty visually cool, but it was scary because you couldn't just trade it in and da- download your stuff. So you're tied to an account and the same on the Wii U, which was just so frustrating. 
And the thing is with Jared, Jared, why I say Jared? Jared, the completionist. Gerard, the completionist, he spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on games that are locked to this system. In a few years, if, his th- if this 3DS dies, no matter how many times these games are backed up onto a computer or on hard drives or whatever, these games are gone. They will be no longer accessible. And only through hacking a 3DS or where you'd be able to inject these back onto a system. So, for example, when the Switch dies, when the Switch is like the eShop shutting down for Nintendo Switch, be like, okay, let's let's buy the games we want to play and you'll be able, they'll be tied to your account and you can sign into any Switch that you want to pick up and re-download the games. Your purchases are safe unless you get hacked or Nintendo says, all right, we're not going to allow you to re-download games, which would be arsenine, but it could happen. But, um, you know, you've got an account system finally on Nintendo Switch. But back then we did not have it. And that's why I, I'm not rushing out to buy games on these these platforms. I'll buy a couple of the DS games. But apart from that, I feel like my, my games would be much more secure. Honestly, just hacking a 3DS and putting games on it that way. That way you can back games up. You can move it from SD card to SD card. You can put them onto a different system that shares a different account. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a backwards method they had back then. So just be wary that, um, if you want to spend a lot of money on these old e-shops, just keep in mind, look after these systems because there's no signing in and out <laughs> and re-downloading re- your stuff on a different system without that transfer. So just be careful out there. But, uh, it was a really cool video. People are asking, why did you do this? Why'd you spend so much money? It's so dumb. Um, just at a real basic level, as far as, you know, the completionist, a million subscriber plus channel, it makes a good video. It's good content. That's a good enough reason as it is. Uh, I don't know his financial position. He mentions in the video that, you know, it's money that he did not have. I'm sure um, I'm sure it's going to be, it's going to rekindle a bit of money just with the amount of views and stuff on there and the, the amount of traction his other videos would get, I would imagine. So he's not going to be out of pocket. He's not going to be like, shit, I can't pay pay my rent because I bought all these games. I don't think so. Um, but it's just a cool video to make and see, you know, a little bit of a challenge as far as completing the 3DS and Wii U eShop titles. So yeah, real cool video. Go and check it out if you haven't seen it already. But um, yeah, just the point I wanted to make, be careful if you want to spend a bit of cash before the eShop shuts. At the time of recording, we have two days... 20 hours, one minute, and 24 seconds until these shops shut down. So um, by the time the episode comes out, it'll be a day less. And if you're listening to it a couple of days in, it's gone. The eShop is gone. <laughs> so yeah, go and, check, go and check out that video if you haven't already. Next up, just from Vooks.net, um, we've got a brand new <laughs> Kirby Return to Dreamland, Dreamland Deluxe mouse pad. Just want to bring this up. This is just the Australian My Nintendo store. For 400 platinum points, you can get a Kirby mouse pad. It's uh, 21 centimeters by 21 cent- centimeters, and it's just a picture of Kirby in- inhaling air. So it's pretty cool. You can also get some um, tote bags with Super Mario characters, and uh, looks like some y- Yoshi patches as well. I am um, I never use my points on the My Nintendo store, but I don't know this Kirby mouse pad's too small. I'm I'm the type of guy I need like a big mouse pad, not a not a mouse pad, you know. I'm not a, I'm not a little uh, small mouse mover, <laughs> whatever that means. Now what else we got here? 
Oh, I just want to highlight this. So a brand new uh, driving Lego game has been announced. Lego 2K Drive coming to Nintendo Switch May 19th. Um, and it looks awesome. So if you're a fan of Mario Kart, I think you're definitely going to want to check out these trailers. When I first heard about the game being announced, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's, it's a Lego game. And um, I played a Lego um, Skywalker Saga. I got bored of it really quick, got to be honest, the new Star Wars game. Got bored of it pretty quick. So when I heard about this, I'm like, oh, you know, whatever. But um, it's actually, they're teaming up with 2K, so a different publisher. Um, so it's not made, made by, um, oh, what were they called again? In my mind, I've got Telltale. Oh, I've got their name. Who make the Lego games? It's really annoying me. Someone's screaming at their their computer or iPhone at the moment. But um, regardless, uh, so I checked out the trailers to this game, and um, if you like Mario Kart, this is certainly up your alley. You know, it's a it's a racing game. You're able to move between different vehicles as you go on different terrains. So move between boats, cars, quad bikes, all of that, depending on what type of environment you're on. You go through question mark blocks like Mario Kart, get different items. And the items look like they're pulling it straight out of Mario Kart. There's the ghosts, there's the missiles that you know act as shells. There's um, the shields, banana-like items, all of that. Looks like a lot of fun. Just the breakability of everything as you're racing along the track. Um, looks great. So that's a Grand Prix mode. But there's also like a story mode. So that's like an, an open, open zone um, racing game similar to Forza Horizon. Um, if you've ever played the Forza Horizon games, and even more, maybe specifically, there's an expansion for Forza Horizon 4, um, which was Lego-based, and you're driving around real cars in the Lego world, and you're smashing blocks and just causing havoc, doing different challenges and tricks and races. It's so much fun. Um, one of my favorite sort of open-world games is just driving around in a car, doing challenges, collecting collecting uh, you know boards and stuff as you're like going around smashing different boards and finding unlockable cars and stuff. And the story mode looks like that. You're doing like a bunch of challenges. You can play like, um, there was a section of like, looks like you're playing golf. Where you're smashing, smashing a giant golf ball around. Um, there's just, you know, just driving around this Lego world, just um, unlocking stuff and open world. Looks awesome. So this morning after the trailer, it sold me really hard. <laughs> and uh, I went and pre-ordered the game, pre-ordered it on PlayStation 5. I got the, the second edition, the awesome edition. Um, which comes with a one-year drive pass, all of that. So um, you'll be able to pick up the game on all platforms for 90 Australian dollars. Um, the standard edition, the awesome edition is $150. And then there's the awesome rivals edition, which is $180 here in Australia, which comes with a bunch of you know cars and unlock packs and all of that. So go and check out the trailers. I think it's uh, worth your time to go and check it out. Um, I've pre-ordered the game. Looks awesome. I love just um, just driving games where you drive around and explore um, and there's aspects that have pulled from like Burnout, maybe even the Forza Horizon games with the expiration, a bunch of stuff in there, man. It looks like it's just uh, feature packed. And it's something I was thinking about, like, you know, they got the Grand Prix mode in this where it is essentially go-karting Mario Kart style. It's like, imagine, imagine like the next Mario Kart. I feel like the step they could take is just, you know, the, the mechanics and that are great. Um, I, d- I don't feel like adding just like Nintendo characters would be super suitable for... Mario Kart. I'd like them to keep Mario Kart as Mario Kart, but also have some special special guest characters like they currently have. They've got Link, Villager, um, hopefully Kirby <laughs> coming up. But I like it. I like that they be kept pretty minimal. But imagine if they do like an open zone Mario Kart with a story mode. You're going around doing different challenges. You can just drive around and explore. You know, even like more 
exaggerated than Diddy Kong Racing on Nintendo 64. There's a there's a lot there to get, just like be really excited about if they ever did it. Just like this full-on story mode with the Grand Prix, awesome battle mode, bunch of stuff to do online, whether it's challenges, battles, races. I think there's a lot they could probably take from games like this. Obviously, we've got to see what it turns out like, but I've got high hopes, high hopes. So yeah, pre-ordered that, put my money where my mouth is. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what happens on uh, May 19th. Came for that. Awesome stuff. Okay, let's jump into the red coin releases this week. There's a bunch of stuff that came out I'm excited for, and uh, we'll talk about it there. Oh, baby. So the first game is obvious. It's Telluriser 3, Alchemist of the End and the Secret Key. And uh, we've talked about it enough, but I would like just to set up the story as far as the little blurb here goes. So the story begins with a group of islands called the Karak Isles um, appear near Riser, the protagonist's hometown. Uh, seeing as a threat to their home, Riser and her friends investigate the isles and discover ruins with a huge gate. As Riser approaches the gate, a strange voice echoes in her head, telling her to reach the code of the universe. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Is what is it uh, that lies beyond the gate, and what does the code of the universe mean? In hopes of finding a way to save their home, Riser and her friends set off on a great adventure that revolves around a key and the roots of alchemy. So yeah, pretty cool. Keen to play that after I finish this show. Next up is Storyteller. You can get it for twenty-one bucks on the Australian eShop. A puzzle game about building stories. Experience the history's greatest stories like never before. Storyteller. Uh, Teller is a, an award-winning reactive puzzle game that lets you build the story. Uh, Storyteller's charming animations and comic panel design allows for a unique puzzle mechanic. Use your wits and retell iconic tales or experiment to find something new. And this was a, uh, a game from a Nintendo Direct, if, uh, if you remember some of them. I can't remember if it was a partnership or an indie direct or maybe a bit of both, but from Annapurna Interactive, you can put... Um, comic book uh, panels and tell the story um, tell your own story basically and put it all together pretty cool puzzle game I'm going to check it out um, don't know when I've got the time to but it's definitely something to put on my wish list to check out later uh, next up we've got Nifaso's um, Misadventure meeting <laughs> uh, Neroza Nerozi? I don't know that's a made up word I don't know how you pronounce it so it's a point and click adventure <laughs> in your console's main processor. In this vibrant tribute to the point-and-click genre, play as Nafaso, a corrupted piece of game data locked in a buggy console. The system is about to crash and your time is running out. Will you find a way out before permanently delete, before being permanently deleted from the program? Adventure, action, puzzle, etc. Guide Nafaso through a strange and mind-blowing world as you solve challenging puzzles. Meet colourful-looking characters and fight wacky bosses and unlock many of the endings before the clock runs out. I get a clock too. Jesus Christ, put the pressure on. Uh, there's meta-human every conversation in a world where the fourth wall is broken. So it looks interesting. Um, I really like the art style, just like a hand-drawn art style. Um, and I guess different as different places you go to, the art style changes too. So it goes between like uh, 16-bit and then like a hand-drawn art style. Looks pretty cool. So you can get it for just under 30 bucks on the Australian eShop. Um, maybe one I'll add to my wish list as well. Another big one, which I want to get into, but it's going to take a long time to get here, is uh, uh, The Legend of Heroes Tales of Azur. As, as it? Azir? I remember, I remember people pronouncing it, but 
now that I'm here, I can't pronounce it myself. Now that it's coming out of my mouth. Tales to Azure. That'll do. Um, so a hero's duty, a city's fate. Following the events from Tales from Zero, a special support section find themselves with new members and new duties. However, rising tensions in Crossbell um, uh, among with the pressures from two neighboring political powers threaten both the safety and of their home as well as the integrity of the team. Um, so I've got no idea what that just said, but I haven't played any of the uh, Legend of Heroes games. But from what I understand, this is a series I really want to get into, a series of JRPGs that have been going for a long time, since 2004. And there's a bunch of trilogies and um, I guess quadrilogies or, you know, sections of games that are telling stories from particular countries in games. And it's very much dives into the politics, the characters, everything going on in this country. And the series is based focusing on a content. So you go from different sections of games, you're playing as different um, different people from different countries and it all sort of collides together in what a lot of people describe as like the Avengers, you know, style sort of meeting where different protagonists, different characters will eventually meet up and a lot of stuff happens. And it's one of like the best long running stories in a JRPG a lot of people have played and it's highly recommended. And um, I'm really keen to get into it. The, the first game is called Legend of Heroes Trails to the Sky. Uh, which I've picked up on Steam. You can't get it on Switch, frustratingly enough. Um, so there's three um, Legend of Heroes Trails to the Sky games, and that's the first trilogy in the games. And that focuses on a certain um, certain section of characters in a certain region. And then Legend of Heroes, you know, the tr- Trails to Azure, or Trails to Zero, that are on Switch, they focus on their own characters and story and all that too. So... There's a few games on Switch you can play. There's a few that you can't, but I want to start at the start. Um, but I've got to do that on PC, and PC is my least accessible system, to be honest. It's the only one I don't have my gaming card, and I don't have room <laughs> for a PC unless I hook up a laptop or something like that. But I'm keen to get into Legend of Heroes games, and I hope everyone's enjoying it. Who was, um, you know, this ports finally came out to the West on Switch, PS5, and PC. So enjoy yourselves, everyone. Um, have fun. I might talk about it when I get to it. All right, so this brings us to the section of the show, which is something I'm trying to experiment with, something a little bit different. Um, I'm calling it Doug Bowser's Hot Takes. And we all know Doug Bowser has some awful hot takes, doesn't he? God. Um, what some of those hot takes? I don't know. But every now and again, he puts them over my desk and I've just got to, I've got to try and defend it somehow. You know, N- Nintendo, we loved Reggie as our president. But Doug Bowser, we honestly haven't had much... Um, much word from him but every now and again he has an opinion that just doesn't make any sense so we've got to defend um doug bowser's honor we've got to make him an honorary uh you know president of nintendo someone we look back on respect love um so this week let's defend this uh <laughs> this opinion that uh, doug bowser has and i think he's been listening to the rest of the show his opinion here is fan service is the only aspect of a game that matters <laughs> I think Doug Bowser's been uh, on the uh, the message boards for Atelier Riser 3 a little bit too much, but we'll try and uh, justify this position. Now, you know my position as far as fan service. We talked about it a lot. It was the main topic of the show this week, but let's try and defend it. So I've got one minute to try and defend um, his take. I've got no idea what I'm going to say, but it's going to come out my mouth and uh, then it's going to get clipped and uh, put out of context <laughs> as a YouTube short. So let's uh, let's try and do this. So one, 
two, three. So I believe fan service is the only aspect of a video game that matters. And look, honestly, if there's an aspect of a game that matters less, it's the gameplay, it's the mechanics, it's everything that's involved with um, actually playing the game. When it comes to playing something like Final Fantasy, the Atelier series, any other JRPGs, I just want a female character to have big assets and uh, not much else going on. I don't even want to pick up the controller. I don't want to even have a level up section. I just want a movable camera where I move it around and I can look at their face and look at their thighs. And that's about it. That's about all I want from a Japanese role-playing game. There's nothing else. And if it doesn't have that in the game, I'm going to be very disappointed and I'm going to boycott the game by saying, go woke or go broke. Because we all know when you go woke, you go broke. Hmm. All right. And that's the minute. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I felt gross for saying that. You know that's a joke. Um, but Doug Bowser, he has some he has some hot takes, which I don't necessarily agree with. So what I want to do, I put it out there this last week, but I did not hear from anyone. This is a very small show. I don't I don't uh, disgrudge anyone, but I would love to hear from you. Um, what do you <laughs> some hot takes you want to put in my mouth for me to end the show with each week? Um, and I would like to um, have it from someone else instead of me coming up with them and putting them. So I've so it's a surprise to me every time it happens. <laughs> so you can send your hot takes to me to defend on the show via my email at um, drew at thehouseofmurray.com and you can title the email with Doug's hot takes so I know what it is. I can open it up on the show and I can be surprised and try and defend it straight off the bat. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dearie, dearie. So, man, that's going to be a spicy one if uh, that gets clipped. <laughs> Everyone's going to think I'm just like a big man, baby. Maybe I am in some ways, but not in that way. don't know. Regardless. That's the end of the show, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the House of Mario episode 247. Before I go, I'm going to queue up this week's Nintendo Mystery Jukebox. Let me know what your guess is of what game the music is from and what you thought of the episode. You can reach me on this podcast YouTube comments or at twitter.com slash idruby or even our Discord. There's an invite to the show note. Well, there's an invite to our Discord community in the show notes to our awesome little community. But... Until then, guys, the doors to the House of Mario are closed. I'll catch you later.